We are uh, continuing a series called You Asked For It, uh, but we're, uh, we're, we're adding a little hashtag relationship goals because you asked for, uh, on Easter, you asked for us to preach on a bunch of different subjects, but by far you asked us to preach about relationships more than anything else. And so uh, we're actually going to kind of just do a little sub-series uh, from You Asked For It, and we're going to spend five weeks or for whatever, however many weeks it is from now until Father's Day, preaching just on different aspects of relationship. And so you're going to hear uh, about friendships and singleness one week. You're going to hear about marriages. You're going to hear even possibly about sex one week. You might want to make it for that. <laughs> Come on, don't act like you, everybody's not thinking about it anyway. We're going to talk about it in church. Today my assignment is a little unique because... We're, I'm not talking about a specific type of relationship. I'm talk, my assignment is to talk about a specific aspect of multiple types of relationships. A specific thing that you should be receiving to a degree in any number of your quality relationships that you have in your life. And so uh, I'm going to describe for you what we're talking about in a moment. But I just want to kind of preface it by asking you to consider just briefly, when you think about your friendships, when you think about your marriage, if, if you're married, when you think about your relationship with your boss, when you think about your relationship with your pastor or spiritual leader or small group leader or mentor, what, what sort of dynamics do you find in your relationships in terms of giving and taking? Put it like this, what, what degree of authority and persuasion do the people in your world have over you? Is there anybody in your world that truly has the, the right or the authority or the ability that you've given them to speak into your life, to speak into your heart, even if it's hard to hear? That makes sense? Awesome. Well, I'm going to start by reading a passage in Hebrews chapter 10 today. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. We're going to be in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. And I actually just want to invite you to, if you can, stand to your feet as we read this passage. I could really preach this passage for a long time, but um, I, I've got a number of things that I feel like the Lord wants to, to say tonight. So I can't spend a ton of time here, but I really want to invite you to, as best you can in this moment, grasp what it is that's going on here. If, if I had more time, I'd read the whole the whole chapter, I, I read the whole book to you, but uh, in this section, he's really describing, and, and there's so many references to everything that a Hebrew person and somebody that knows the temple and the tabernacle system and sacrificial system of, and all of those things, they would understand all of the references in here, but I just, I just want to kind of invite you to recognize that the, the degree and the depth of what he's saying in terms of our relationship and reconciliation with God. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So, for, so, so you and I, we have reconcil full and complete reconciliation and access to God because of what he did by giving his body and pouring out his blood. Okay, so this is, I know I'm just putting this succinctly, but this is what it's saying is that we have full 
access to God's presence. And that was not always the case. You have to understand that. When it talks about the curtain, there was a curtain in the temple as thick as a man's hand, it's 60 feet tall, and it separated us from God's presence. Only one human being can go in that holy of holies one day a year. The way that we experience the presence of God now is not the way that it was back then. Let us not take for granted the fact that we get to experience God's presence, not just in heaven one day, but right now. Because he has reconciled us to himself. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We don't have to worry about our guilt and our shame any longer because he has cleansed us. We can enter into his presence with full assurance. Amen? Amen. If we would just get this. Our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Thus far, what we've read in this small passage and what this echoes what the entirety of the New Testament is teaching us is that because of what Jesus did, we are fully reconciled to him, not by our works, but by his finished work on the cross. We are fully reconciled to God. We have, we have right standing with him. That's what righteousness is, is right standing with God. Okay, you with me? Now watch this. Even though we have right standing with God, the very next verse says this. And let us consider how to stir one another on towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That, that, that section in my version, the ESV, says stir one another on. Your version might say spur one another on or provoke one another on or encourage one another on or challenge one another on or rebuke one another on. The, the, all of those words are found in that, that verse right there. In fact, I like that spur one another on. I almost borrowed some spurs for today's message. Just think about... Think about a spur just kicking you in the side. Does anybody in your world have the right to spur you? We have right standing with the God of the universe already. And yet, he invites us to consider how we might encourage, challenge provoke one another towards a further degree of love and good works. Lord, I thank you for this night and, and what you have planned, and together we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us what it is that you know we need to hear. We pray that you would encourage us and that you would challenge us. We know that Left to our flesh, we would, we would just leave here the same, but we know that your spirit wants to change us for our good and for your glory. And so we open up our hearts to you. We give you access and invitation to come and have your way in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. So in 1974, uh, there, there was this company that did something pretty radical at the time. So there was a there was a burger company that I think was formed in the 50s that was taking over the world, and they were selling millions and billions of hamburgers every day. 
And that company was called McDonald's. Yeah, McDonald's. They're doing a great job because McDonald's uh, totally got the concept of mass production and automation, and they did it very well. Now, through the Industrial Revolution, many industries, many companies started doing this thing called mass production or, you know, the, the lines and all of those things. But in 1974, this other burger company came up with something that at the time was fairly revolutionary. And they came out with this slogan in this, this age of the 70s and the hippies and peace, love, and rock and roll and this radical individualism that was going on at the time. They came up with this slogan I don't know if any of you remember this, but Burger King came out with a slogan, have it your way. Have it your way. Now, up to this moment, there wasn't a lot of companies that embraced that sort of philosophy. Uh, even Henry Ford said, yeah, people can order a car in any color that they want so long as it's black. Right? Because with mass production, sort of in that, it's required that we're going to produce a product and you're going to buy the product as is. And if you don't want it, don't buy it. But Burger King came up, they had this thought, no, no, no. We want to beat out McDonald's and everybody else by offering the customer the ability to have their burger their way. Now, I want you to check out this ad. And I just want you to listen with me and... <laughs> This is, okay, this is what it says. Listen to this. Have it your way. You have the right to have what you want. Exactly when you want it. Because on the menu of life, you are today's special. And tomorrow's and the day after that, and well, you get the drift. Yeah, that's right. We may be the king, but you, my friend, are the almighty ruler. Now, you might be thinking, hey, come on, take it easy on Burger King. <laughs> but doesn't that ad sound eerily familiar to the issue that Adam and Eve faced in the garden and the issue that we're facing today. It's the same thing that we've been facing, and, and if, you, if your eyes are open and your ears are open, this is exactly what our culture is telling us right now. You are the almighty ruler. You should have it your way. And I'm here tonight to tell you, no, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. If we had it our way, we would be on the path towards destruction. And so the aspect of relationships that I'm here to preach about tonight is the challenging, the sharpening, the rebuking, the calling out, the, do you have anybody in your world that invites you not to have it your way. I want to... Did you say your wife? Perfect. We're going to start there. Number one. Number one, I want to invite you to consider that you should have friends and peers 
that have this role in your life, including your spouse. See, iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. Listen to what it says in Galatians. This, I think about Peter. I think about Paul pulling out Peter. He says this in Galatians. But when Cephas came, Cephas is Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Man, if that happened today, we'd be like, mm, you're canceled, right? We don't like that. Opposing, we don't like people opposing us to our face. But I'm telling you, this is good for you. Right? He says, Paul says, I oppose Peter to his face because certain men came from, uh, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jew Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so even that Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. See, what was taking place is that at that time, God had opened the doors for the Gentiles, that's most of us, by the way, to be involved in the kingdom. And they, when they ate together, it's like saying, hey, we're okay with each other. And prior to that moment, Jews were not allowed. They wouldn't eat or associate with anybody that was non-Jew. But Peter knew that God had well opened up the doors. He himself, in Acts chapter 10, went and, and met with you know, the leader, and, and this, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. And so Peter knew this, but when certain men came that were of the Jewish party, the circumcision party, he withdrew and he started acting hypocritically, and so Paul calls him out. You see, what we need in our life is friends that care enough about us to challenge the things that our flesh want to do, but our spirit don't. Middle schoolers, if you're here tonight, you want friends in your world that are willing to speak up when you fall into that trap around the lunchroom table where you just start ripping on somebody and making fun of them. You want a friend, middle schooler, that will pull you aside and say, hey, that's not who you are. We don't do that. College students, you want a friend when you start staying out later and later and later and when you end up staying out so late that you're actually coming home in the morning and your girlfriends pull you aside and say, hey, sister, that's not who God designed you to be. And by the way, if he's not ready to put a ring on your finger, he's not ready to have your body for the night, right? You want friends in your world that are willing to have those hard conversations with you. You want a spouse that is willing to endure the difficult conversation and, and challenge the character flaws that you have instead of just f never bringing it up and never bringing it up and then finally just saying, I'm done with this. I, have, I gotta divorce you. You want to make sure that the friends and the peers in your world have access to speak into you because left to ourself, we're gonna fight to have it our way. We're gonna fight to... Uh, our flesh has a mind of its own. But we should invite friends and peers. We should desire to have friends and peers in our world that challenge us. Number two, we should desire to have teachers that challenge us. 2 Timothy 4 it says this. Paul is speaking to his, his young disciple, young, uh, young pastor, and he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, whom is the judge of the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Sound familiar? The time is now. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We live in a culture right now that if they are listening to preaching at all is trying to find a preacher that will give it to them 
their way. We should desire to hear preaching that challenges our flesh. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I, as a preacher, I, uh, there's something special about preaching even when I listen to preaching. Isn't it weird how like somebody, even, even maybe your spouse or even maybe your friends or even maybe the Holy Spirit could be speaking something to you or you could actually know something. You could really know the truth but, but God has anointed the proclamation of his word in such a way that sometimes you could just be sitting there in a church service or even listening to a sermon online or on a podcast and God will use a preacher to speak something and even though you already knew it, that word just slaps you in the face in a really good way. Isn't that true? It's like, man, I knew that, but oh, that one, that was like a throat punch, but I want more of that. There's just something about preaching. It's because the declaration of truth is what has been the problem from the very beginning and what has been God's solution from the very beginning. What voice are you going to listen to? The devil lied in the beginning and God's telling the truth right now. What voice are you going to listen to? His voice is going to challenge you. The devil's voice is going to probably lead you to do what your flesh wants to do. No, no, no. God, God knows that you'll be like him because you the supreme authority no you're not we should we should be listening for teachers that challenge us according to God's word number three you should have leaders and mentors in your life who challenge you I think about Moses Moses led God's people out of Egypt in a powerful way right he showed up and him and his brother they did they did all these miracles that like the, the Israelites could not deny what, what God was doing through Moses. He parted the Red Sea and they went through it like all of these crazy miracles. And yet what happened? In the desert, they complained. They, they accused Moses. Moses goes up on the hill to meet with God and they start doing crazy things down at the bottom, building this golden idol and worshiping it. And, and Moses comes down and he rebukes them. I think about Jesus even Jesus has these knuckleheads following him around and James and John are like, Jesus, should we call down fire on those people? And Jesus rebukes them. How about this? When, when Jesus is, is talking with, uh, with Peter in Matthew 16, he's asking him about his identity and he says, hey, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says this, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then watch this. The very first time that Jesus ever called a human being blessed, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's the very first time that Jesus looked at a person and said, you are blessed, because Peter recognized Jesus for who he was. In that moment, Peter was completely in line with God's truth and God's will, recognizing what God was saying, but watch what happened. Let's jump down to uh, verse 21. It says this, but from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Now watch what happened. Peter took him aside and Peter began to rebuke Jesus. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. I wish I knew Jesus' tone of voice, don't you? Man, that's like something. I, 
This is one of the things I'm going to ask Jesus. Like, what tone of voice was that when you said that? <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, right after he says, you're blessed. He says, get behind me, Satan. Because you are no longer setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. If Peter in that moment was only able to receive the blessing from Jesus, but not the rebuke, he would have completely missed it. Because the proclivity of the flesh that he had and that you and I have is that even though we might be in line with God in one moment, doesn't mean that we're always gonna be in line with God's heart for the other moments. We need teachers and mentors to continually speak into our life and sometimes bring correction and even rebuke. I can think about the times in my, in my, in my world, my personal life, when these moments have really sucked but I am so thankful for them. I remember when I was in college, I started, I started leading. My first ministry that I ever led in was this ministry called Young Life. It was a youth ministry. And, uh, and we would go into the high schools and we'd hang out at you know, the lunchroom table. We'd go to sporting events. And, and the way that that ministry worked at the time for me was you would join the ministry as a freshman in college and you didn't just become a leader of the whole group you became a leader of freshman guys in high school. And so I, I took on this group of freshman guys and I walked with them through my freshman year, through my sophomore year, through my junior year. And by the middle of my senior year, I had a pretty severe case of senioritis. I was kind of ready to be done with college. I was kind of ready to be done with young life. I was kind of ready to just move on. And I, one day I just called up my, my leader, my young life leader, and I said, hey, um, you know, I've been serving in this ministry for three and a half years, and I, I think I'm, I'm going to step back. The Lord's calling me to something else. It's easy to put the Lord on stuff sometimes, you know. And he said, no, you're not. I was like, well, no, yeah, 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 I am. And I remember, I remember this day so vividly. I was on the phone with him, and we were like yelling at each other. And he said, Craig, you gave your word that you were going to serve in this ministry until you graduated, and that's exactly what you're going to do. And I remember being so angry with him. My feelers didn't like it. Oh, he's being so rude. He's being You know what he taught me in that conversation has borne fruit in my marriage, has borne fruit in my ministry for the last 15 years. There, there are lessons that myself included and this generation need to learn about fulfilling your word. I'm telling you, young person, you live in a society that is going to convince you that when you feel like you're done with something, you should just get out. And you best be careful because one day you might just feel like you want out of your marriage and that's not what God has called you to. We need to learn what commitment is. And in that moment, I had this leader that had the guts to raise his voice and hold me accountable even though I didn't like it. I have leaders and mentors in my world right now 
that over the past few years, I'm telling you, I'm not like preaching at anybody, I'm preaching from experience. In the kitchen of life, I've been trying to cook up the burgers my way. And I have people that have been willing to go through the hard conversations with me that have the right to say, you're not going to have it your way. And in the end, you'll see that that's better for you. And I know, I know how hard that is. I've been furious at times. I've been broken at times. I've been tired and ready to quit this church at times. I've been tired and ready to quit relationships at times. I've been tired and ready to just, I just want to go and do But there are people that have the right in my world to sharpen me and challenge me and call me out. And that is a good thing. I wonder, do you have anybody like that? We should have friends and peers that have that right. We should have teachers that have that role. We should have leaders and mentors. We should have, number four, prophets and prophecy. Man, I'm running out of time, but I think about David, a man after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart that committed extreme sin and atrocity. And you remember the story, Nathan, he comes up to the king and he says, hey, king, I had to tell you this story, and he tells him this story. I don't know if you remember it or not, but he tells about this rich man that all these sheep and all this stuff, and, and he goes and he takes, he, you know, he sees this poor man and he takes his only sheep, and David's like, that man deserves to die, and Nathan the prophet looks at him and he says, you are that man. And he's like, oh. And Nathan the prophet of God had the right in his life to point out what could have become one of the greatest hidden sins of all time. But what did David do? He repented. He responded with faith. I don't know about you, but for me, I do my best to save every prophetic word that I get. I transcribe it, I put it on a Google sheet, it'll be there forever, and I have to go back to those words And I have to let those words guide me. I have to let those words sharpen me. I have to let those words challenge me. We should allow the the prophetic word in our life to challenge us. And lastly, the eldership. 1 Peter 5, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witnesses of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed This is Peter here challenging the elders. He said, shepherd the flock, shepherd the people of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. If you don't know this, For whatever reason, other than Jesus, who is, of course, the head of the church, Jesus and Jesus alone is the head of the church. But humanly speaking, under Jesus, God's church is led by eldership. This is how he designed it. The eldership is the highest authority and carries the weight of responsibility over the church of God. 
And so this church follows the biblical model. We, we are an elder-run church. The staff here that, that works for the church, functionally, we carry out the ministry of this local body. But in terms of spiritual authority and that weight of responsibility, the eldership has that. And um, I just need to point that out because people don't always know that. But I also want to point that out. And most people don't ever maybe experience, um, although you all have to some degree, I think 2020 really revealed a lot of things about how people view the spiritual authority that's above them. Some people responded with grace and some people responded by basically saying, I don't care. Here's the thing though. And, and, I, and I know that this might sound a little um, biased because I am one of the elders here. But I can promise you that more than probably most people, I have personally felt and experienced what it is to come under the authority of the eldership and not get my way. I've made a choice in my life to recognize that this is God's ordained authority. And so even if I fight, and sometimes in that conference room, we raise our voices and we don't sound very happy with each other, but we recognize we're not fighting for our own fleshly desires. We are stewarding God's church. And it's not all glorious. But I have made arguments for things that I want and that I believe. And if the eldership as a whole votes no, I have to submit to that because if I don't, if I don't personally, I know that I'm going against God's will because this is the way that God designed it. I guess just to say, I'm speaking from experience, I know what it is to be served a hamburger not my way, but I'm committed. I'm committed to them having that voice and that position in my life because it's from God. And so as I close here tonight, I just want to ask you again. Does anybody have the right? Does anybody have the position? Does anybody have the spiritual authority in your heart that they can speak both the encouraging words and the challenging words? When is the last time that somebody spoke something challenging to you, maybe even a rebuke to you, and it provoked in you a change? When's the last time that you didn't get something your way and you, against the will of your flesh, your spirit made a decision to submit to somebody else's counsel? We live in a society right now that is shouting at you, you are the supreme authority and you should do whatever you feel. You should have it your way and you really shouldn't. Kids, I will remind you that your parents have authority over you until you are considered to be an adult. And that God has the first commandment with a promise in the Ten Commandments is that kids would honor their father and mother. But in all of these relationships, it's not like 
all of those relationships, that's the only aspect. Of course, there's gonna be fun times of hanging out with friends and just doing whatever with friends, but at some point, there should be some friends that have that role in your life. Of course, when you're, you know, have leaders and mentors above you, there should be other, a million other aspects, but at some point, there should be access that a leader and mentor has in your life to challenge you. So, I just want to invite you to consider friends and peers, teachers, leaders, mentors, prophets, and elders. Do those people have access into your heart, persuasion over your soul to bring about love and good works? We're not trying to get there in order to earn a position with God. Hebrews, as well as the rest of the Bible, tells us we are in the position with God because of what Jesus did. We are in right standing with God. We're not fighting by our works to earn anything. We are responding to the position that we have in him by pursuing what he's called us to. And that requires other people. It's why God gave us the church. It's why, by the way, we feel like small groups are so important. Because something happens through teaching and preaching, and there are some things that only happen in a circle on couches where you're really getting to know each other and sharpening each other. Somebody say a prayer. Holy Spirit, we just invite you without moving on from this moment. I just invite you to speak to us. I even invite you boldly to highlight, illuminate to us the areas that we've been walking in selfishness, the areas that we've been walking in pride, the areas that we've been walking even in sin. And Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts because we know that it's difficult for us to invite people to have that voice in our life. Would you soften our heart? Would you give us even a hunger and a desire for that? A desire for sharpening, a desire for correction, a desire that we would look more like Jesus. Jesus.